Well, good morning. Before we uh, get started this morning, I feel like I, I need to be honest about where I've been in the last week or so. Preparing this sermon has been particularly difficult for me. As many of you know, uh, the Lord is graciously giving me some wonderful freedom from anxiety and depression that I have struggled with. But uh, out of nowhere, it came back again this last week. I tried to explain it to a friend because using those words doesn't seem to quite capture uh, what you experience if you've ever been there before. I don't know that this is the best illustration, but I said, imagine if you were taking care of someone's house while they're on vacation. So every day you would go to their house and you would maybe feed the dog and water the plants and take care of things around the house. But one day you go uh, to the house and as you approach the front door, it's wide open and you know they're not home. And you see that there's something going on in that house. So whatever emotion that you feel in that moment is what I woke up with. And it wouldn't go away. And it brought me to a really dark place. Charles Spurgeon, a fellow pastor, made a tremendous impact in the world for Christ, also struggled in this same way. And he says this, he says, there are dungeons beneath the castles of despair. I spent some time in that dungeon. <laughs> it's hard to write a sermon when you're in the dungeon. <laughs> and so I just share that with you to let you know, and this is true every Sunday, but particularly this one, I cling to every truth that I speak to you this morning just as you do. There was a psalm that really ministered to me this week, Psalm 9, verses 9 and 10. It says, the Lord will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name, your character, your goodness, they will trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not, will not, Forsake those who seek you. My heart is anchored to that truth this morning. And even though my mind can be a mess at times, I want you to know it is well with my soul. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this church family for their gracious kindness, their loving acceptance. Father, thank you that that exists here because that's what exists with you. Your gracious kindness, your loving acceptance, that's where we find healing and hope, redemption, restoration. And so I pray this morning, Lord, that as we look at your word together, 
that by the power of your spirit, by the truth of your word, that you would minister deeply to our souls in the places that we need it most and maybe in ways that we didn't even know we needed it. Lord, allow it to resonate. Help us to speak these truths to one another and to carry it with us as we walk out of this room this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, over the past few weeks, we've been on a journey seeking to discover God's eternal purpose to dwell among a people that he has made his own. It began in the garden, and we caught a glimpse of God's original design, creating humanity to flourish in a life-giving relationship with him, living in the fullness of his faithful provision, enjoying the unhindered fellowship of his presence. But we also talked about how the garden was just the beginning There was still work to be done. That's why God commissioned Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth to expand the boundaries of paradise to the uttermost parts of the world, creating a community that would grow to become the people of God. Everything in the garden was created with unlimited potential but it was incomplete. Adam and Eve were designed to grow in their relationship with God. They had to learn how to rely on the Lord, to to trust in his faithful provision. That's why God gave them instructions, particularly not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because that was actually something that they needed to learn. To understand what is good and true, what is right and wrong. But God wanted them to rely on him as the only reliable source of true wisdom and understanding. But that's where Satan comes along and calls the character of God into question. He convinced Adam and Eve that God was withholding something good from them that there was actually something better beyond the boundaries of God's design. And they believed him. And so have we. Because this selfish desire is at the root of every single sin we have ever committed. It's a sin of rebellion that has infected the heart of humanity. Because we also seek to find goodness apart from God, moving beyond the boundaries of his design. We indulge in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we rely on our own wisdom and understanding, trying to satisfy a longing that only God can fulfill. But God, as we have learned, is unwilling to allow our sin to eternally separate us from him. So instead of leaving us to ourselves, which would have been the worst possible judgment imaginable, he chose to enter in. And we see it all throughout Scripture. But we saw it particularly, most vividly, when we talked about the sanctuary, a pure and holy place where God's glory dwelled among a sinful people. 
which as we saw, is why there were so many barriers and guidelines for protection. Because the tabernacle was only intended to be a temporary residence, not a permanent solution. The righteousness of the law and God's holy presence revealed, it exposed the reality of our sin. It showed us our our desperate need for God's saving grace. It, It ultimately pointed us to Jesus, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Because where the tabernacle protected the people from God's holy presence, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ invites the people into God's presence by making them holy and blameless before him. He reconciled our relationship with God through his work on the cross. He broke the power of sin's curse. Which is why we have those beautiful words in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 that says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the risen Christ, has set you free from the law of sin and death. But, but, there is more to be done than simply restoring our individual relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Our relationship has been restored so that a new community can be formed. Remember, that was God's original design. It has always been his eternal purpose to dwell among a people that he has made his own. And so this morning, we want to consider what that looks like for us today. How does God fulfill that promise to dwell among a people within the life of the church? And so I want us to begin by unpacking this together by turning to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. As you go there, let me kind of set the context of what's happening. Jesus is comforting his disciples, having told them that he would be soon going away. And and quite frankly, he's been very candid with his disciples about his death, burial, and resurrection, the the impending reality. But, But he's telling his disciples in this passage that I'm going away, but I will prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be there also. And Thomas, in response to that news, says, that's awesome, Jesus. Okay, those are actually my words. He didn't say that, but I think that's, I think that's what he felt. That's awesome, Jesus. But how do we get to where you are if we don't know the way? It's a fair question. So Jesus responds famously in verse 6 when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me, to which Philip then responds, that's awesome, Jesus. (laughs) Again, my words. We want to see the Father. He says, in fact, if you'll just show us the Father, I think all of this will make perfect sense. And so Jesus responds in verse 9 and says, have I been with you so long 
that you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Now, I don't want us to miss this because this is really important to, to understand what Jesus is communicating here. Because in his humanity, he set aside his divine rights in order that he had to live in complete dependence upon the Father. He did nothing on his own initiative. Knowing that, Jesus goes on and tells his disciples in verse 16 of that same passage. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And I want you to see the connection of what Jesus is trying to communicate to his disciples because he's essentially telling them what is true for me will be equally true for you. As, as I live in complete dependence upon the Father, so will you, but not alone. Because the same way that God did his works in me, he will do his works in you. In fact, the abiding presence of God will not only be with you, he will dwell in you. Now, we know that that promise was ultimately and at least initially fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. But I want to make a connection to what we looked at in the sanctuary because I think it's really important to see how the Bible, the biblical narrative, ties these things together and communicates depth to what may be very familiar to us. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, let me just kind of set the scene here. Solomon is dedicating the temple. He's praying before the people who have gathered together. And after finished praying, this is what happens beginning in verse 1. Now when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. The priests could not enter into the house for the Lord uh, of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And, and the sons of Israel, seeing the fire, came down and, and the glory of God upon the house bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground. And they worshiped and gave praise to the Lord saying, truly he is good. Truly his loving kindness is everlasting. So God's glory filled the house as fire came down from heaven as an evidence of his presence. Now let's look at Acts chapter two, verse one. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it, here it is, filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them. Do you see the connection? 
the filling of the temple, the filling of the house, the fire from heaven, the tongues of fire on each of them. That's why Paul would later say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, or do you not know that your body is, there's the word, a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. He repeats the same idea in his second letter, chapter 6, verse 16, for we are the temple of the living God. Please don't miss the magnitude of what is being proclaimed here. The presence of God has filled your life in the very same way that the glory of God filled the temple. It has flooded every part of your being. That's why Paul says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. It is a fulfillment of the promise that Jesus made to his disciples. But it doesn't end there. Because what happens to us individually is now magnified in community. Listen to how Paul speaks to that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, when he says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. See the connection? Uh, Peter will use a similar analogy, identifying God's people as living stones. In 1 Peter 2, 5, he says, you also, as living stones, are built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So once again, what happens to us individually is magnified within community. That's why when we come together as a people of God, something very special takes place. God's ministry to us happens through us. God's ministry to us happens through us. As we are reminded of gospel truth in the songs we sing, as we are saturated with hope from the words of Scripture, as we, in loving fellowship, care for one another, our gathering together magnifies the truth of God's presence among us. Last week, Jeff talked about thin places, those places on earth where the distance between heavenly realities and earthly realities get really thin. I just need you to know this is one of those places. 
which is why the writer of Hebrews instructs us. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, do not forsake your gathering together. There's something important. Do not forsake your gathering together, as is the habit of some, but encourage each other. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Does anybody in this room see the day drawing near? Absolutely. All the more important. And this applies not only to what we do here on Sunday morning. This applies to every time and any place God's people gather together. We were created to live in the shared experience of the life-changing presence of the risen Christ. And here's why. Remember I told you that Adam and Eve walked in God's presence. That the garden was filled with unlimited potential, but they still had things to learn because they had to grow in their understanding of God's faithful provision. They had to understand what it means to truly trust in him. And the same is true for you and I, isn't it? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So, just like Adam and Eve, our life in Christ is filled with unlimited potential. Do you get that? You have everything you need for life and godliness. But we're a work in progress, aren't we? There are still plenty of things for us to learn. We're still learning how to live out of that new creation identity where the old is gone and the new has come. We're still trying to understand what it means to rely on the Lord and to, to trust in his faithful provision, whether that means times of success or in deep despair of suffering. True sanctification, life change can only take place by God's design within the context of community. That's why the New Testament is filled with one another's over and over again. Love one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Be devoted to one another. Forgive one another. Just as God in Christ has forgiven you. My counselor shared something with me this week. That's right, your teaching pastor goes to counseling. But it was really helpful because it exposed some wrong thinking that I have in my mind that I assume many of you share as well. And that's this expectation that our growth in Christ is this linear progression. If you were to think of it on a graph, it's just like a, a line that goes from becoming a Christian to being in heaven. And we just steadily, like a stairway, make our way to where we want to be in God's presence. But in reality, it looks more like this. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? And that's why we need the one another's. See, Paul highlights this divine design of our interdependence on one another, as he created it to be. In the analogy of the body, you're familiar with this, but let's look at it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 14. 
where it says, for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole it were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But, but now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desires. Divine design for interdependence. Every person is vitally important in the role of a healthy church body. Not just because of who you are, but because of how the presence of God works in you and through you. Everyone here, don't miss this. Everyone here has something to offer that someone else needs. Did you hear that? Everyone here, everyone here to a person has something to offer that someone else needs. Here's why I know that's true, because in that same chapter 12, verse 7, it tells us that each one, each person in the body is given a manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good, for the good of someone else. Everyone here has something that someone else needs. It's God's design. The church is a living organism designed by God to draw us more deeply into the reality of his presence, conforming us into the image of his son, accomplishing his eternal purposes through our dependence upon him, just like we see in the life of Jesus. It's the only way we come to the place where we say as he did, not my will, Father, but your will be done. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I got stung by a bee. Uh, it was one of my own bees because I have a hive in my backyard. And I find these creatures absolutely fascinating because in a hive like mine in my backyard, there's somewhere between 30 and 60,000 bees. Okay, that's one hive. And yet... They all work together, each having different roles. There are nurse bees who take care of the little baby bees. And then there are forager bees who go out and get pollen and bring it back into the hive. And then there are guard bees, those ones you need to be aware of, <laughs> right? They're on the front of the hive protecting the colony. But these bees cannot survive on their own. They live off of a shared food source. In the winter, like now, when it gets really cold outside, they can only survive by clustering tightly inside the hive, vibrating to generate heat to keep them warm. And in the summer, when it's 150,000 degrees outside, they have to go collect water, bring it into the hive, flap their wings to create evaporative cooling so that, get this, throughout the year, no matter how hot or how cold it is outside, inside that hive, it is somewhere between 94 and 96 degrees year-round. 
fascinating. But left to themselves, they cannot survive on their own. They are wholly dependent on the strength of the colony. And our spiritual health is exactly the same way. God created the church much like a bee colony because we all have different roles, different gifts, different abilities, but we are mutually dependent upon one another for our spiritual well-being. Let me give you some examples of how this has played out in recent weeks right here in this church. So many of you know Mark and Margaret Woodfin. Mark was diagnosed with cancers under treatment and had a pretty uh, bad response to one of the uh, recent treatments. And as a result, Margaret became a full-time caregiver. But you also know that medicine today is very expensive. And so she had to work. So Bob Park gathered a group of men together And collectively, they took turns stepping in to allow Margaret to step away to do some things with her job so that that Mark could be safe with somebody there with him. Day after day after day. That's what it looks like when a church is healthy and interdependent upon one another. It also looks like Doug McAlpine, sitting on my bed when I'm curled up in a ball, reading the Psalms to me as I cling to every word he speaks. That's what it looks like. It looks like walking into messy marriages and being able to get messy with them, but offering words of hope and the expectation of something better. It's also rejoicing when there's something to celebrate. Maybe somebody has a a new baby or an adopted child is welcome home. When, When one person has joy, everybody rejoices. When one person grieves, we all grieve with them. That's the way God designed the body to be. Because here's another thing about a bee colony that's really important. And if my son Graham is listening, I need to make a little side note here. When I started raising bees, he said, Dad, you can't be the bee pastor. (laughs) So I've gone almost a whole year without using a bee illustration. So (laughs) that's for you, Graham. But this is really important. I told you about how bees need each other for survival, but the reality is that's not their main goal, to simply survive. Bees actually make our world beautiful because bees are the main contributors by pollinating that gives flowers in the spring. It's what allows fruit to be on the trees. Because of their work, they bring life literally to the rest of nature. And the stronger the colony, the greater the impact that will be. And the same thing is true for the church, people. God designed us to flourish so that we can make the world beautiful. 
Isaiah chapter 52 verse 7 says, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and bring good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, Your God reigns. Our goal is to take God's living presence into a lifeless world and to bring hope and joy and the announcement of salvation. And the stronger our community, the greater our impact will be. So let me close with this. The reason I began this morning by sharing my story, which I do not like to do, is because I want people to see that if you're in a hard place, this is a safe place. I know that's not true of all churches. I wish it was. But I desperately want it to be true for this church. I want you to be able to work through your doubts and questions and not feel judged or belittled because of that. I want you to find hope in the midst of hurt, to find healing from from past trauma. Because we need to remember, and think about this, okay? I don't know why this struck me so new and fresh, but it's true. We need to remember that it was the hurting and the struggling and the hopeless that fought their way to be in the presence of Jesus. And since the church is where his presence dwells, then the very same thing should be true of this place. Listen, we all need to cling to the truth of God's word. We all need the ministry of the spirit. We all need the gospel every single day. Amen? Let's pray together. First of all, Lord, thank you for letting me do that because <laughs> I wasn't sure it was going to happen. Thank you for meeting us even in our moments of weakness. Father, thank you for helping us see the beauty of your design, that it is not good for man. It is not good for woman to be alone, that you created us for community, and that we, as that people of God, are the place in which your presence dwells. Yes, it dwells within us individually, for we are a temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. But we recognize, Father, even more clearly this morning, that that presence is magnified within the context of community. So, Lord, help us to pursue it to protect it, to protect the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, as your word says. Help us to experience the reality of your presence through our relationships with one another. Thank you for your promise fulfilled to dwell with us and in us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand together. 
one practical application of how we can live this out as a church family. Admittedly, potentially awkward at first. But one of the things that I'd like for us to cultivate is our willingness as we are in conversation with one another. And if somebody in sharing with you says, man, I've had a hard week, that we take the opportunity in that moment, at that place, to say, can I pray for you? And just do that spontaneous prayer throughout the life of the body. Because what is prayer? We've talked about this. It's a posture of dependence. It's saying, Lord, we need you. And so let's live that out practically by taking the opportunity to regularly, spontaneously pray for one another as the Spirit leads and as you see that need in someone else's life. Will you do that?